All right, good evening. Uh, it's fun. First evening service with, with people, and, and that's, that's uh, super special. So you guys are the first evening. So you can, you can be like, yes, I remember back then. Uh, you can write down the date. Uh, oh, welcome to all of you who are watching online. Glad you're here. Tonight we're finishing our series entitled Helpful Compassion, which has basically been a series all about how to love your neighbor well in, in this awful time. I mean, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of upheaval going on, whether it's been job losses or, or grieving or isolation. There's been a lot of topics that we've been talking about, uh, intense stuff, and yet the, the aim for this, this series, these last seven weeks, has been to equip us uh, if there's people that we know who are struggling or impacted by the coronavirus uh, pandemic for whatever reason and in whatever's ways to help equip us to be able to love them well, but also if we ourselves have been impacted in certain ways, how to navigate it well uh, in, in this time. So last week I started part one of a two-part series, and, and the, this is the conclusion of this this series about loving your neighbor well, and it's about storm seasons. It's about storm seasons. So last week we looked at Matthew chapter 7, and, and how at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks to, uh, his final thing that he says is about what happens and how to assess whether you're doing it rightly, whether you're, whether you're following and applying and obeying the teaching of Jesus. And he says that, that when the storm comes, the wind and the waves are going to beat against your house, against your life, and if your life is built on the rock, then you will stand. But if it's not built on the rock, then you will collapse. And how we talked about how a lot of people will read that and say, okay, yes, my life is built on the rock, it's built on Jesus because I have given my life to him, and I believe in him, and I go to church or whatever, or I go to church online, or, or whatever the case may be, haha. <laughs> uh, so... Um, but we feel like that, but when we talk about, no, in the Sermon on the Mount, it wasn't about believing in Jesus as much as it was applying very clearly the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus has gone through the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talked about prayer, how to pray, and some things like that. He's talked about not worrying. You, you, you don't want to wor don't worry, no need to worry. He's talked about uh, don't give in to lust or anger or, or murder, which was anger. Things like that. He, he talked about um, greed, don't give in to greed. Because if, if you're consumed with those things, when, when, when the storms come along, then your house is going to start cracking. If it's, not, if, if it's not just based on Jesus alone. So we, we talked about that. And we, we set up that, that concept of storm seasons. Carrying through from last week, I want to remind us of the shipwreck analogy. Reverend Evan Hopkins from the Welsh Revival talked about people in storm seasons like shipwreck peoples. Uh, and so uh, three different positions that you might be in a shipwreck. Uh, first of all, there was the struggling position. And the struggling people are those who are thrown into the sea. The storm is raging. They have nothing to hold on to and they need help. They need something to grab onto. They need someone to throw them a life preserver or a life ring or a stick or something. Just anything to hold on to. They need help. Uh, they're not able to help themselves. They're not able to help anybody else. Then there's also people who are, um, who are clinging. And those are the ones grabbing onto something that's floating, like, like, like the edge of a lifeboat or, or something like, like wood. And, and if, you're, if you're clinging onto something, then you're probably going to make it. And I gave the exception last week with unless you're holding onto a door with rows laying on it. And, and even though there's plenty of room for, 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 for you on the door... She just wants to talk. And so you're just like, 
And then you're just like, okay. Oh, no, I, something like that. <laughs> I can't remember. It's been a long time. Anyway, so, so you, you've got, with that only exception, generally, if you're clinging on to something, then you're going to be fine, but you're not going to be able to help anybody in, in that season. So you've got the clinging position, and then the, finally, the final one that he talks about is the resting position. And that's somebody who is in a boat, in a lifeboat, and they have capacity to be safe because they're in the boat and to reach out and pull people into the boat or to throw people like life rings or, or floaty things or whatever so that they can cling on to stuff, to, to help people who are struggling to go after them and rescue them. People who are resting have capacity beyond themselves, even though they're in the same storm and the same wind and the, and the same rain. And so... We assessed last week, last week was an assessment, and we tried to ask ourselves honestly at the worst moments of this coronavirus season, how did we do? How did we do during this time? Uh, honestly, were we struggling and needed help? Were we clinging on and really unable to help anybody else but just, just be able to hold on ourselves? Or were we in a resting position and actually had capacity to help other people? If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to that uh, online. Uh, why we're talking about storm seasons at the end of this is because we wanted to assess now, were we ready? The storm has come, and it, it, it came crashing against our, our lives, some different people, different intensities. Um, did we find ourselves able to stand? Or do we now need to rebuild and rebuild something better, a little bit, a little bit stronger? Uh, yeah. A little bit stronger in that way. So, so we're assessing. So last week was about assessing. This week is about the aftermath of the, so of the storm. We're, we're going to look tonight at the disciples. We're going to look at them as they went through their storm season. And we're going to have five, we give given five different viewpoints in the Bible when it comes to the disciples going through their, the biggest storm season of their lives. And then we're going to look and see the aftermath. The aftermath of what happened um, once the storm had passed. Now the storm that I'm talking about is the, the night after their great celebration. They had, they had been celebrating Passover together. And then that night, uh, Jesus is arrested and nothing is ever the same again. He's arrested. He goes through this farce trial in the middle of the night. And then he is executed on a Roman cross. And he hangs on the cross for about six hours that next day. And within, within 24 hours, they've gone from having dinner with Jesus there, washing their feet and teaching them, to now he is dead and being buried. That, that, was, that was an, a major upheaval moment, and I, and I want to make sure we grasp the concept or the, 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 the full thing of what's going on here because you have these disciples who for every day of their lives for the last three years or four years have been around Jesus. They've been able to sit there and talk to him. They've been eating with him. They've been walking down the road. They can ask him whatever question they want to ask him. They, they can, in fact, that's what they're supposed to be doing. Disciples didn't just learn by sitting there and taking notes. They learned by asking questions. And so they're asking questions and they're talking to Jesus day after day. They're sleeping where he is. They're going where he's going. They're, they're praying where he's praying. They're learning from watching how he does everything. They, they are with him all of the time. And they've come to believe now that he is the promised savior of the world. And they trust him. And, and he wants to go to Jerusalem. They're like... It seems dangerous, but okay, let's go with him even if we need to die with him. They've come to, to love him and trust him and committed to following him forever, wherever he goes. And yet, in this moment where he's arrested 
and tried and executed, it changes their life and their relationship with him forever. Like, it's never the same again. And, and that's okay, but it is a very significant and permanent shift. And so we see five different, five different um, snapshots of how people navigated this storm, and then we'll see the aftermath in the moment. So this storm happens, and the first one, Peter, not chronologically, but just Peter, uh, not alphabetically, Peter. Yeah, it's just Peter, when you look at responses, well, what's Peter's response? And then you go from there. Uh, usually it's an improvement. So we start off with Peter, and Peter's story was, well, he goes to the garden with Jesus, and they're praying, but he falls asleep. Like, the, the disciples fall asleep. Peter falls asleep. And even though Jesus had told him previously, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation, he's sleeping. And we also know from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you know, prayer, it, praying is one of those things that helps you stand strong when the storms come. But Peter falls asleep. He falls asleep in the storm. And then he wakes up, and then he falls asleep again. Then he's woken up, I guess, and then he falls asleep again. Ultimately, the people come to arrest Jesus. He takes out his sword. He slices off Malchus's ear. Jesus picks it up, sticks it back on, as you do, and then Peter runs, right? He runs with the disciples. They run away. But Peter's not okay just running away, and so he goes back to the trial, and, and yet he's, he knows it's dangerous, and so he goes to the trial, and he gets in the door, but he's interviewed a few times. Hey, are you connected to Jesus in some way? And he adamantly denies that, that he, he knows Jesus. He, he, is, he wants to be there. He wants to be there for Jesus. But his courage gives out. His courage got him to the trial. But it gave out at the interview. And so, and so he, he crashed out there. And then he sinned. A great sin. And I think we underestimate the sin of denying Jesus. Jesus has said, and Peter will remember. Jesus says to people, whoever denies me before people... I will deny you before my father. He says that. If you deny me, how many sins in the Bible does Jesus say, if you do this sin, I will deny you. I will deny knowing you. This is a big one. Like, this is a big sin. You murder someone? That, that's, not, that's not one of those. That's not one of those, right? Don't murder people. Uh, but but there's, that, there's that value. Like, if you, if, you, if you deny me, this is such an, a major thing. This is such a major sin. And Peter does that. He does that three times. And Peter knows that Jesus knows that Peter has denied him because he denies him for the third time. And he looks up and Jesus, being tried, decides to not pay attention to the trial for a moment and turn and look at Peter. I don't know what that look was like. Maybe it was like a, huh, or told you so. I don't know what it was. But Peter was shaken by it. And he goes out, and he, and he is broken by this sin moment. And he goes out, and he, and he weeps. He weeps bitterly, it says. That's in Luke, 20, Luke 23, 62. He goes out, and he, and, he weeps. Not, and he weeps. Not only does he crash in his courage, but he, he crashes in this storm season in huge sin. In, in major, major sin. The sin of denying Jesus. Okay, so you got Peter in this storm season. His life, did it stand or did it crash? He crashes. The house crashes. And it did not stand strong. And he runs away crying and broken, crushed by the sin and the remorse and the guilt and all of that. Didn't, didn't stand. That's one view. Another person, this is probably the first one chronologically, uh, Judas. Judas. 
So the thing about Judas is his house crashes even before the storm hits, right? And, and there's going to be people in your life who, before the coronavirus season happened, they had already fallen apart. Judas had, had fallen apart before the storm happens, and, and he's a mess, and he is so broken, and he's tur- in his faith in Jesus or his love for Jesus or his respect for Jesus has been uh, so tarnished for whatever reason that he is ready to betray him, and he goes to the priest, and he, and, and he gets, makes sure Jesus gets arrested. He gets paid for it. He would prefer money over Jesus being around. Obviously, Judas did not stand strong in the storm. He was already a wreck before it happened. In fact, he was the wreck that brought about the wreck that other people are experiencing, at least uh, humanly speaking. What is his response to to this crashing, this crash moment? Well, uh, he is full of shame, remorse, guilt from his sin. He He is racked by the guilt of his sin, like Peter, but instead of where Peter goes and he weeps, um, he, uh, Judas, he goes and he tries to return the money that was given. He's full of remorse and regret. And ultimately he goes out and he kills himself. He's, he just can't take it anymore. He, he gives up. And that was Judas's response to the storm. Now again, both Peter and, and Judas sinned greatly at this time. Both of them are grieved by their sin, they're mortified, they're crushed by it, and, 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 they go, and they leave that situation just grieved by the depth of their sin. But Peter, he weeps, but, and, but he goes on to be restored and change the world. Peter could never have guessed that in only 53 days, he's going to be leading and be one of the leaders in one of the greatest uh, moves of God in, in the history of the world. Judas... He, he doesn't believe that there's hope for his future. And so he gives up and, and, he, and, and he kills himself. Sometimes we, we feel like there is no hope for our future. We're too ashamed. We're too ashamed by our sin. We're too ashamed by our guilt. We're too ashamed by our mistakes. And we just feel like, you know, looking forward, I don't see any future. There's no hope for me. I just can't face it. I can't face tomorrow or whatever. And you just feel like being like Judas and, and giving up. One of the great morals of the stories of the Bible is never aspire to be like Judas. That's one of the clear ones, right? You don't want to be like Judas. And Judas gives up. You don't give up. Don't give up ever. There's always hope for you in your future. There's always hope for you. Uh, Even if you've walked the path of Judas and turned from Jesus and betrayed and find yourself the embarrassment of humanity or the shame of humanity, the one who betrayed Jesus to death, there's still hope for you and your future. Hang on. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Again, Peter's going to go on to to, uh, change the world. If you're experienced during this coronavirus, and I know that many believers have had this experience during the coronavirus storm. If your experience was to fall apart by crashing into sin, by crashing into sin, walk the path of Peter. Weep about it. That's okay. Weep about it. Have a good cry. Repent. Repent. And then be restored. And be restored. Get back to obeying Jesus. You can start again today. Sometimes we think there's like a, I don't know, a grace period where you need to, you need to exist in a repentant position for 307 days before you're able to get back to it. No, that's not how it works. You can have been in, in massive sin this morning or in the middle of the day and then repent of it, go to Jesus, weep, be broken about it, and recommit your life to follow 
following Jesus and then step out in obedience to Jesus from this point on. You don't need to wait 24 hours from repentance to see if it sticks. You, it sticks by stepping forward and just going into it. And I, there's been so many people who have been so devastated by the shame of the path that they've walked during this corona season and by just falling into great sin. They don't even know what to do and I'm going to tell you what to do. You repent and today you rededicate your life to following Jesus. You just draw that line, and I'm going to help you with that at the end here. We're going to rededicate our lives to Jesus. Okay, so that's Peter, and that's Judas. Now, there is other disciples who responded differently. Thomas. Thomas, we hear about Thomas. He seems to have completely fallen apart in the storm. Judas collapses in the storm. Peter collapses in the storm. Thomas collapses in the storm. He's the one who seems to just disappear. He, he, he has lost his faith. He is full of doubt. He even says to the disciples, I will never believe unless I see and put, place my hands and, and all that sort of stuff. He's like, I will never. He has lost his faith. He is, he's the one that's not around the disciples, even around them. All the rest are still together in their brokenness and in their upsetness and their fear. But, but Thomas isn't there the day Jesus shows up. He's just not with them. He, he's, he's stopped being around God's people. He's full of doubt and disbelief. And maybe you know people who have been like this in the storm. They've disappeared. They've disappeared from God's people. Maybe they've disappeared from your Bible group. They've just disappeared from, from engaging in things of God or, or whatever. They've just, they've stopped believing. They, they're so wounded and disappointed by what's happened in their lives over the last season. Maybe they're bitter or angry that God has allowed things to happen. That they think, okay, God, you're not worth following anymore. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to trust you anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not even going to really believe that you're real anymore because if you were real, how could I feel this pain? And they doubt. They doubt it's worth following Jesus. Thomas is like that. His faith completely collapses in the storm. That's Thomas. There's another group of disciples and, and they're kind of the other, they're called, you know, they're just unnamed ones. And what we know about the, the group of disciples, the miscellaneous ones, miscellaneous, that's not fair for them, but the ones that, that I, I'm just kind of grouping together, um, what we know about them is that Jesus is arrested and they ran, and they're not there at the cross, they're not there at the trial, and when we see them, they're in a room with a locked door afraid. And they're, they spend their season terrified. It's like they're the clinging ones, like clinging on for dear life. They, they don't know what's going to happen, but they are afraid. They're afraid about their future. They don't know what's going to happen now. They're, they're just terrified. They're full of uncertainty. They're just very afraid, and they're hiding, and they're, they're locked away together. And maybe you know people who are just so afraid right now. They look forward and they're terrified. They're terrified of what's going on. They're, they're, they're worried that their life has fallen apart and there's no, there's no future for, for them. Most of the disciples seem to have crashed with fear. That their lives have fallen apart right now and they're afraid. They, they are not going to the cross. They're not going to the trial. They're staying locked in this room. There's another disciple mentioned by name and it's John. John seems to be, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to say he's the one that stands and doesn't crash. The other ones all crash. Now, it's a little bit generous, honestly, with John, because he is probably part of that group that's locked away in the room and afraid at, at that point. But the rest of John's story is, you know, he's, he is um, at the trial, like Peter, but he doesn't deny Jesus. 
He is the only one at the cross. All the rest are too afraid to be there. It is a very, very risky move of his. He is there at the cross. He's the only one. And he's rewarded for that. Uh, he, he is, he is, Jesus speaks to him from the cross, and he, and, he allow, and he entrusts his mother, Mary, to John's care. Now, I don't know if you've ever read that and been like, why? Why? There's no need. Why would you do that? This is an honoring thing because there's definitely not a need. Jesus has, Mary has other sons. Jesus has half-brothers. Uh, James, James, who in Acts chapter 15 is, is clearly the first among equals, the head of the church globally in, in Acts chapter 15. James, the, the, the head of the church. It's not like Mary's son, not, sons didn't, weren't going to follow Jesus or believe in him or anything like that. They're actually going to be leaders of the church. One of her other sons is a Bible writer. He writes the book of Jude. His name, Jude. I gave it away. Yeah, so, so you got Jude. It's not like these guys aren't going to be mature, godly people, and yet he, uh, John is honored by, the, by being entrusted with the care of, of Mary, Jesus' mother. So you've got this John being honored. So let's, you know, let's give John the, the credit. He probably stood. He at least stood the strongest of all the, of all the group. So you've got these five different responses. Five different responses uh, that different disciples had to an awful storm where their rabbi, where their mentor, where, where Jesus, the one that they served and followed for several years, he is instantly taken away from them and he is, and he is uh, executed. All but John seemed to collapse, but what about the aftermath? So I want to the aftermath. What happens now? Okay, so with the exception of Judas, who 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 uh, foolishly took his life in his uh, and yeah ended his life, which we don't do. We don't do that. But Judas did that, and with the exception of Judas, fifty-three days later, fifty-three days later, all. All. In fact, if you're, if you're out there in typing land, uh, and the internet and the camera, I don't see you, but I see the camera, and that's, that counts. I, I want you to type the word all, because this is really big, but don't just type the word all, put it in all caps. In fact, everything today is all caps. Just leave that on, because we're going we're gonna to just use that word. Okay, I want to make sure we, 53 days later, all, and if you're in the room, uh, we're not typing, but we're talking. Okay, so you can just be like, all. Three, three two, one. All. Yeah, that was pretty good, but it's all caps, right? All caps. So let's try it. All caps. Ready? Three, two, one. Yes. Okay. So 53 days later, all of the disciples, even the ones who had collapsed in major sin, even the ones who had collapsed in their faith, even the ones who had, who had shrunk away in fear and terror and anxiety, all of them, 53 days later, went out and changed the world. The Holy Spirit came on them, and with boldness, they preached the gospel. 3,000 people became saved, and the church uh, took off from there. 53 days later, it didn't matter that, that Peter had collapsed majorly in sin during his storm. It didn't disqualify him from being a part of the greatest reawakening revival in the history of the world, the great turning to Jesus. Peter and Thomas, they go from, they go from crashed, from, from, from faithless, from I will never believe, to my sin is, is, is like of the top level worse, from shipwrecked, using that analogy, shipwrecked, uh, shipwrecked struggling in the sea, needing rescue, to, to in 53 days, powerfully rescuing thousands, preaching about Jesus. 
The majority of the disciples go from clinging on uh, in, in fear and terror, hiding in, in a room, to, to resting and reaching out and, and seeing people, thousands come to Jesus, all in just about 50 days. And you say, yeah, yeah, Brian, but, but they got the Holy Spirit. Okay, yeah, but you've got the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to wait 50 days to get the Holy Spirit. That, that's the thing. And that's why I'm, I'm able to say, like, if you feel like your life has collapsed, you don't need to wait 50 days for, for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall on you so that you can, you can work, move forward with Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. Now you repent, you turn, and you step. And you step into the, the, the calling, the, the anointing, the appointing, the, the path that God has for you. And, and we, we, we see so many people, they, they get crushed by their sin. They're, they're weighed down by it. The guilt is so heavy. And they feel like, I can't take that step. I can't follow Jesus. I'm not worthy. I feel too guilty. I do feel guilty to, to follow Jesus. But no, no, no. You repent and then you believe that you are forgiven. Faith is believing. And you believe what the Bible says is true. And the Bible never says you'll be forgiven in the next 48 hours. You're forgiven. And so you step into it. Let's remember how they go from this broken place to this resting place so they can help others. And in John chapter 20, and the disciples, they see Jesus, which is key. <laughs> It's pretty key there. In John chapter 20, verse 19, when it was evening of the, that first day of the week, this is, this is uh, first day of the week right after Jesus was crucified and the day he rose from the dead, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, it's a big deal, so I wanted to say it that way. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. How he walks into the room, or he, he appears in the room, and the disciples are afraid, and Jesus pronounces over them the opposite of how they're feeling. They are afraid, and he says, peace. He says, peace be to, with you. And having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced, and when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. Peace to you. He knows where they're at. He knows the words. He knows the, the blessing that they need. Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Okay, we're connected. This is the first bit. I've said peace to you. Look at my hands. Now I'm sending you. Now I'm sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In order to move from resting, or for, from collapsed to resting, or from, from uh, struggling to resting, or whatever, whatever analogy we're using here, the house falling down or the shipwreck analogy, people need to firstly get back to, connected to Jesus, Back to connect to Jesus, reconnected with Jesus. They need, to, they need to feel that Holy Spirit coming upon them and filling them and, and restoring them and, and healing them. Um, if, if you're like, I, what is that? What is that? Well, I encourage you to spend some time and just being maybe by yourself in a room, just kneeling there and just being like, Holy Spirit, come. I want to feel your peace and your joy, your, your love. I want to feel the love of God and kneel there 
And, and sometimes people will be like, I did that for like two minutes and nothing happened. Okay, keep going. Keep going. Uh, like some of the more powerful times, just being in that posture for 25, 30 minutes before you really feel like the Holy Spirit comes in, in, in his presence. Uh, a, a better, faster way to do it is have somebody who believes in Jesus um, pray over you. <laughs> a Holy Spirit come and kind of wait there with you and, until the Holy Spirit comes. But to, to feel the Holy Spirit coming and, and, and filling you back up with, with peace, encouragement, the, the obvious sense of the presence of God. If you've been fearful these days, God says to you, peace to you. Jesus says, peace be to you. Peace be with you. Reconnection with Jesus ought to be a source of, of peace going up, fears going down, as we remember he's alive, he's real, and he's with us. Now Thomas didn't get that experience right away. Thomas didn't get, he walked away from the gathering. He is not there. He's the only one not there when Jesus shows up and, uh, and does this, this thing. He's in a dark place. He has walked away. He is, I will never believe. He's in that position. He's struggling. He's crashed in the storm. He's, he's drowning. He's out there drowning. And what happens then with the disciples when, when Jesus meets with them here? The disciples, they do it right. They go out, and instead of waiting uh, in, in that room, they go out and they find Thomas. They, they step out. They, they go and find Thomas. They say, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. He's alive, and Thomas doesn't believe them. But they, they pursue, the disciples pursue the guy whose faith is completely collapsed in this storm moment, who's, who is adamant to not believe. He's adamant to not believe. And so they, they, they pursue him, and, and they tell him, and it, he doesn't believe, and yet they, they are effective in one way, because a week later or so, uh, in my memories a week later, um, Thomas is with them when Jesus shows up again. He's still not believing, but he's now with them versus not with them. And, and, that's, and that's not nothing. Thomas has to deal with, with this doubt this, this major faith crisis, and the disciples reach out to him until, until he, Thomas has an encounter with Jesus. They reach out to him until he has an encounter with Jesus. And at that moment, Thomas it goes from struggling, from crashed, to restored, to resting. And 53 days later, 50 days later, 40 Three days later, I'm not great with math, about 43 days later, Thomas is there uh, with the other disciples preaching the message of Jesus. And, and I just, I'm just wondering if there's somebody that might come to mind right now. Somebody who might come to mind that you might need to pursue, like a Thomas out there, who in this storm season, they've given up on God. Because God, it seemed like he gave up on them or wasn't there for them or for whatever reason. They're, they're, dis they're disappointed, they're discouraged. And, and they've just slipped away. Maybe they've slipped away from your Bible group or they've slipped away from just from church or pe church people or, or they, they just, they've just walked away. Is there somebody coming to your mind when it, that, that could be like a Thomas? If somebody is coming to your mind, I believe you have a Holy Spirit assignment for them. I didn't tell you a name. Uh, I believe you have a Holy Spirit assignment for them to pursue them. And you may pursue them and they might be like, I will never believe again. Right? They might pull the Thomas on you. But you just keep pursuing them until they have a Jesus encounter. Praying for them and pursuing them until they have a Jesus encounter. So, Peter, back to Peter. Peter seems to be particularly broken by this storm. 
he, he, his sin it seems to be connected to the depth of this sin, this denying of Jesus. And maybe this wasn't quite obvious to the other people because, um, I don't know, it seems like he's broken in a secret place. He's there with the disciples when Jesus shows up a couple times. He's celebrating with them. He's excited about that. He believes Jesus is alive. He's probably part of the crew pursuing Thomas and, and bringing Thomas back. But it seems like Jesus looks at Peter and says there's something that there's something on the inside that still needs to be restored. There's a gift there. There's a, a guilt there that needs to be dealt with. Again, as you know, and I know it's so easy to forget this when you're looking at someone, but to know it when we're not, that just because somebody looks like they've got it all together, and somebody looks like their house is all back to, it, together, doesn't mean it, it's all the way okay on the inside. And there's a lot of people who are struggling in deep places um, that, but, but look, look like they have it together on the outside. And it seems like Peter's one of those guys. See, uh, it, it's not until the end of John, John chapter 21, where Jesus and Peter have a chat on the shore of Galilee. And it seems like Peter, Je, Jesus sees that Peter has got this, this sin-guilt wound and from denying him three times. And so three times Jesus asks him a restorative question. And he says, Peter, do you love me? I, I, I don't care if you denied me right now. I care if you love me right now. I don't care if you denied me the other day. Do you love me today? Do you love me? And Peter's like, yes. Yes, I, you know I love you. And he's like, okay, feed my sheep. Uh, feed, uh, he gives him this, this mission. He puts him back to his purpose. And reason. Three times Jesus says this. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Annoyed that he asked him a third time. Uh, yes, uh, feed, feed my, or hurt that he asked a third time. Feed, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And, and in that moment, Jesus is restoring him from these three denials, reminding, uh, just assessing, uh, asking him about the love, and then putting him back, pointing him back to the mission and the calling that Jesus has. Like, okay, you love me? Then stop worrying about the guilt and start feeding my sheep. And, and for, for those of you who've crashed for whatever reason, I'm just going to say it again. If you crashed in, in guilt from sin or, or in, 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 faith, in walking away from Jesus, if you've crashed, okay, this is a rest restoration moment. And it's time to stop uh, having that internal crisis over what happened. And now to rededicate your life and get back to Jesus' mission for, for your life. Peter already believed in Jesus. He already believed he was, in a uh, uh, he was alive, and, and yet he needed to have that, that his heart walk in faith. Sometimes we believe we're forgiven, but we don't feel we're forgiven, and so we don't take a step. But, but faith is believing. Faith is believing. Everyone except maybe John crashed, but looking at the aftermath, 50 days, all of them, except for Judas, were rebuilt and stronger than ever before. Ready to lead 3,000 people to faith. Okay, so if someone you knew crashed in this last storm, in those ways that we talked about, or whatever ways, or maybe you, maybe you had a, a crashing moment in this storm, I want, I want to do some truth talking and truth typing. Again, leave the all caps on, and that's both on your keyboard and on your talk board, or whatever, your, your mouth. Okay. So uh, we're going to make, we're just going to affirm some things that are true right in a row. And, and the first thing I want to, I'll tell you what you're going to say. But uh, basically, the first one is you are forgiven. You are forgiven, right? And so you're going to say or type, I am forgiven. Okay, three, two, one. 
I am forgiven. Okay, that's a bigger deal than it just sounded right there. And, and that wasn't all caps and bold. Did I say bold? I don't know. Uh, I am forgiven. Let's try that again. One, two, three. I am forgiven. You have a commission now to believe what is true and to go out and help people believe what is true. That if they have given their lives to Jesus, no matter how bad the crash, they are forgiven and so now step into it. They're, you're forgiven. Number two, uh, Jesus is with you no matter what, no matter how the season has gone. Maybe, maybe you've crashed in your faith and, and you didn't believe God was with you or cared about you anymore. It wasn't true. Jesus was with you. He is still with you. He will be with you. The truth statement is Jesus is with me. All right? Three, two, one. Jesus is with me. Whatever you have felt in this time, that is an anchor for, for your heart, for your soul, that Jesus is with you. Stop doubting. And believe firmly that, that Jesus is with you. That Jesus is with you. That's number two. Number three, there's hope for you in your future. So the statement is, there is hope for me. No, there's hope for my future. There's hope for my future. One, two, three. There is hope for my future. Type fast, people. Type fast. Pass that thing around. Type fast. There is hope for my future. Don't be afraid about the uncertain days ahead. Don't be afraid about how you're going to get from here to back together. Don't be afraid about how you're going to navigate the, the, the relationships that maybe you broke because of sin in this process. Uh, you, you're, you're, we're going to work through this process. There is hope for your future, and the road may be long, and it may not ever be exactly what it used to be, but there is hope for you and for your future. God has your future in his hands. I like it. There's hope for my future. Number four, you are invited back to the mission and ministry of Jesus. You've not lost your calling because of your collapse. Peter did not lose his calling. Thomas did not lose his calling. Uh, the disciples did not lose their calling because they all collapsed in that last storm. I, you still have a purpose and a mission. The, the statement that we're going to say is, I still have a purpose and a mission. I still have a purpose and a mission. Okay, three, two, one, here we go. I still have a purpose and a mission. I still have a purpose and a mission. And, and, and if you respond to faith in this moment and, and wisdom and address the things that caused you to collapse last time, I believe you can be much stronger, just like the disciples were for the next storm. And so the truth that we're going to type and we're going to say is, I can be stronger than ever before. Three, two, one. I can be stronger than ever before. Again, if you, if you did stand like John in this season, praise God. Now, like all the disciples at Pentecost, be filled now with the power of the Spirit. Be filled with the power of the Spirit. Be filled with the message of God. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Go out now from this place of, of restored and rebuilt and rededicated to following the God of the Bible. A place of, of greater peace. To rescue those who need help. To search out the Thomases. To restore the Peters. To, to run after those who have collapsed in this time. And to help them. How do I help them? Well, uh, they're, they're, are they grieving? I've got, well, there's a message for that. You can go back and look at that. Are, are they, have they lost their job? There's a message, but we've been talking about how to help people if their lives has fallen apart in in this season again i want to remind you the disciples everything did change for the disciples forever and I, I bet they had those days, and I, I just can picture this so often, where, where I bet they had those days where in the future where they're walking along and they're like, man, I wish Jesus was here right now, standing here next to me. Because there's a few questions I'd like to ask him right now. The, I have, I've got some um, clarity. I would like to know right now what 
I'm supposed to be doing with my life, or whatever the case may be. I, I have some questions, and it would be nice, you know, I'm not going to be really picky about this, but you know, like maybe, maybe a day a year where we could just kind of talk and, and face to face, side by side, and, and you know, like it doesn't have to be every day like it was before, but if I could just have one day a year, that would be nice. I can imagine the disciples having those thoughts from time to time. I have those thoughts from time to time. I'm sure you do too. Wouldn't that be nice? But it's not going to be that way again. That era is over, and that's okay. That's okay. It's a different era, and God's going to be with them in a different way in this new era. If you, believe, if you rebuild what is storm-damaged, and you walk closely with Jesus, even if nothing is ever the same again, and maybe even in some ways that you would have preferred, it's going to be okay. God's got a good future for you. God's got a good future for you, whether you can see it or not. The enemy wants you afraid of your future. Jesus wants you to not worry, not worry, and to place your hope and, and joy in him. Be encouraged, be rebuilt, and, and let's reach out to those who need help. Uh, challenge for today. Challenge is basically who can you reach out to and encourage this week? How? When? Okay, so maybe you have that name from when we were talking about Thomas earlier, but, but who can you reach out to and encourage this week? How are you going to do that? And when. In fact, if you put the when, that usually drives the progress of every goal. Like, how, who can you reach out to encourage this week? How and when?